good thing going. Why did I let myself ruin it? Everything was perfect. I was waking up at the right time, an hour before everything started, and I was sleeping, well, I was sleeping very late every single day. This is probably why, this is definitely why I overstretched myself and this is what I get. It was unsustainable the way I was staying up all night long working on things that I couldn't finish in the day because I wanted a nap so badly. This was inevitable. Hello friends and teacher friends. I'm back after a nearly three month hiatus. (laughs) Um, The last time I did one of these was in August and it was just the first week of, of, of school and so we've gone through September, October, and now we're halfway through November. So like two and a half months. Um, yeah, a lot has changed. Uh, we saw the trial of Breonna Taylor. We saw the election season. We saw the accounting and um, what a close call it was. The fact that Biden won, but now um, Trump is getting ready to stage a coup. And it's it's really frightening. You know, people that were elected into Congress and the Senate, um, it's, we have a lot of diversity, but we also have a lot of people in there that are not really, not really there for people. They're there for corporations and they're, not really there for people's interests and they're not there for teachers' interests or students' interests. They're there for themselves and it's very scary. QAnon. I mean, people have been spreading QAnon theories. I don't even know who QAnon is or what QAnon is supposed to represent, but it's just uh, an amalgam <coughs> an amalgam of um, conspiracy theories about everything including covid and vaccinations and things like that and it's just very 5g cell towers like it is so disturbing the kind of misinformation that's out there and the fact that people will easily believe it just because they don't know how to answer back to people who pose questions to them that are absolutely ridiculous like how same way how flat earthers will convince people that the earth is not round because they don't, uh, the person that they're speaking to doesn't have answers to their questions, which are easily answerable through science, um, through really basic science, even, um, sixth grade level science, in fact. And yeah, we've got a bunch of conspiracies and conspiracy theorists going around, uh, defying any rational thought. And that is, the enemy of any teacher, to be honest. Anyways, that's the current events in the outside world. But um, in the classroom, you know, students hear those things and they bring it up in class. And I feel obligated to discuss those things with my students as well. So it's relevant. It's all relevant. Anyway. Um, the reason I bring all that up is because, you know, it's important to have these discussions with kids. It affects them. They hear 
um, he, they hear the news, they, they listen to the news, they, they see it on the internet somehow, uh, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram, anything that pops up, it's not going to be, or even TikTok, actually, you'll see a lot of kids on TikTok talking about current events, and it'll pop up on their feed, and our students will see it. They'll have questions, they'll have feelings, they'll have things that they want to say. So it's important to have these discussions. But also, overall, you know, all these things affect a student's mental health. And what else affects their mental health is the amount of workload that we're piling on to them. I recently spoke to a student. Actually, I've had a couple of students come to me um, through private comments, through emails, telling me that the work is too much, not my work, but just in general, like they're overwhelmed with the work, you know, they want to give up, they're, you know, they cry, it makes them depressed. Um, My eighth graders who are all boys, you know, coming to me and expressing these feelings, you know, just raw emotion. And, you know, whether I get them on a, like a separate Google meet session and we do like a one-on-one where I explain like the work to them and I go over it to them one by one. Sometimes they feel like giving up um, because it feels like too much. And I do my best in terms of explaining things slowly and carefully and making sure that they follow along with whatever thought process I'm trying to guide them through. But I had a kid give up and just close the Google Meet and just leave. And then he left a private comment saying that, you know, he he felt sorry. He was he was sorry that he left like that, but it just made him angry and frustrated and he wanted to give up. So. You know, I'm I'm listening to them and I'm hearing them and uh, their frustrations. And, you know, I've tried to slow down even more with our curriculum. Um, and I feel bad because I'm behind my PLC partner by at least two lessons. <clears throat> but that's because I've had to stop and slow down at least two times. Um, where instead of doing like a new lesson, I just... Um, stop and explain things and and work things out with students everybody that comes is you know full of questions and um, confusions that they didn't bring up during class time or maybe they felt like they couldn't bring it up during class time because we were moving so quickly I usually do try to stop and ask my students engage kind of like in the chat like you know put a why if you get it put a c if you're confused put it and if you don't get it at all you know, uh, writing a letter in the chat and to, to get a general idea of how the class is doing with the work. Usually students are either get it or they're usually like a little confused, but nobody ever tells me that they absolutely don't get it. And so, you know, I try to use, I try to encourage them to come to my office hours so that we can talk it out and, and you know, slow down with the work uh, more than the uh, regular class pace. And then, and then they seem to, then they seem to get it. Then they seem to start doing their work. I think one thing that also helps is like when I uh, grade right away, if I grade either the same day or the next day or the same week, uh, I usually try to grade everything on a Wednesday. If I grade everything in one week, um, you know, the following day, I will immediately start seeing students turning in work. And it's like, you know, the, I'm talking about a lot here, right? Uh, there's the mental health aspect of kids and then there's also like the, the grading aspect and um, having them actually turn in work, uh, which are, they seem like two different things, but it's the same, it's two sides of the same coin, if you think about it, because, um, because kids feel overwhelmed, they feel like they're getting all these notifications, um, <clears throat> for teachers, we're just teaching, you know, two classes a day, four days a week, 
and one day is asynchronous. So we're not even teaching those days. Those days I reserve for like grading, making phone calls and doing all of like the paperwork side of teaching. I guess you could say a quotes on a word paper, by the way, because everything is digital. But like, it just seems like um, for them, I actually, I ended up asking a student after I heard all of these complaints and I heard all these frustrations, I asked a student, um, you know, like, what is your, what is the typical asynchronous day look like, right? What, how many assignments um, are you doing on Wednesday and how long do you take on them? And it went something like, you know, about 45 minutes on science, um, <clears throat> about half an hour for uh i think it was math the related they get related arts homework too um and you know that takes about like 30 to 45 minutes and i think they said it was like an hour hour for social studies hour for reading so <clears throat> all in all it was it came out to about like 5 hours when i did the calculations it was about 5 hours of work and that's a lot for a kid and it's not like our teachers are giving homework. We're not giving homework. We're giving classwork. But the kids don't do it in class time because, um, I don't know, <laughs> they're probably... I, I don't want to make any assumptions. I'm sure there's a whole slew of things. But just speaking as a student, I know, uh, as a student and as a teacher, I know that sometimes I'm a too tired to do it on the spot. Um, I usually can't concentrate on the spot. I usually need time to myself to be able to do the work. I need to have a clear head. Um, and I'm an adult and I know myself and I know how I feel at different times of the day. I know my energy levels and things like that. Um, so I'm much more self-aware than a 13-year-old kid. <clears throat> and just thinking about that, you know, the relative psychological development and the overwhelming nature of five hours of work to do on one day, even though like in the school, they, in school they have the structure to do it. You know, it's not like... Um, it's not like they are, um, it, it's less difficult. It's less difficult when you have the structure because everything is in place and you're in, you're in the space to do it and you have the teacher making rounds and, you know, circulating the classroom, tapping you on the shoulder, letting you know to continue to do the work, pointing out where you need to look. You know, um, a lot of these students have attention problems, whether they are diagnosed or not, right, with ADHD <clears throat> or any other um, or any other issue that could cause them to not be able to concentrate. So um, you have that adult present, constantly circulating and making sure they get the attention that they that they need. I mean, I, w- I would argue in this new NTI setting with the non-traditional instruction, completely digital, I feel like it's easier to give individual attention. Like I can have a student share their screen with me and I can guide them through the work. I can guide them where to look, where to click, where to upload, things like that. And in the real world, they would be looking at a piece of paper and I would have to do the same thing, but it's harder to give them attention with 25 other kids in the classroom. And um, I feel like it's easier to just grab a kid uh, digitally, have them share their work, and boom, you know, after like an hour or two of like one-on-one instruction, um, they finally get it. And then they can start catching up with like the other work. They can start following along and they have the confidence to follow along. I feel like a lot of kids get... Um, uh, left behind in terms of just, you know, uh, uh, the teacher's attention because of the fact that there are 25 other kids, um, you know, at least 20 of which are also vying for her attention. You know, like the five kids who do it independently or, you know, the few that don't actually care, they just, you know, submit whatever. And then you have 
a large majority of them who want the teacher's attention, who need the teacher's help, and um, can't get individual attention, even if they're called into like a meeting outside of class, um, because uh, you know it's only limited to the time of day um, <clears throat> in the in the school building right, until 2.30, whereas when it's digital, uh, if the kid's available at 4 o'clock, you know, I'm available at 4 o'clock, I'm at home all day, I'm at my desk, you know, uh, can you get on Google Meet right now, use the code help me, and, you know, I'm there, um, and, and they're there, and we can work through this stuff together on their own time, on my time, and, um, you know, I, I'm less stressed during that time as well, so I'm able to give more quality attention as well. Um, and so I think there's definitely benefits to um, being able to help students digitally. But, you know, they're, again, back to go, going back to, like, the structure of the physical classroom, students don't have that anymore. And that physical structure is what gets a majority of students to do the work during class time. And so <clears throat> I think... Uh, not having that makes five hours of work um, in your home feel much more stressful. It feels much more daunting, you know. It, um, without the structure, it's, it's definitely more overwhelming. So almost uh, three weeks into teaching, I started to lose control of my sleep schedule and that definitely had an effect on my ability to reach out to students and so this is kind of how it went so day one of the new week um well technically it's tuesday but we started on a tuesday so that's how i'm gonna start so a lot of students are having technical difficulties, you know, laptops or iPads that are crashing um, when they have to use certain websites. And I think Microsoft Teams is probably crashing them because it takes up so much of the internet bandwidth and it takes up so much space. I've never had to close tabs in order to use um, another app before, but apparently I do this time. So I can only imagine what the kids are feeling with their the older Chromebooks that some of them have. So we mostly do iPads one-to-one, but when we run out of iPads, we use the Chromebooks. And so and these are from the district. These aren't all from the VILS program that we were part of. My school was part of the Verizon Initiative, or the Verizon Innovative Learning um, something. <laughs> and we started two years ago with that. So We've had iPads in the building before, but like, for example, kids who are not responsible with the iPad might get a Chromebook or they might not get any technology at all. So we do have a bunch of non-digital learners, but um, a lot of kids are using these devices, but they're not able to access everything that they need. So some websites will be restricted. I think YouTube was restricted one of the one of the days uh, last week and um, they weren't able to open YouTube links to things that I needed them to watch and answer questions on. So 
you know, that's been a little rough. Or like websites or um, other apps that I need them to open. And I can't see their technology issues. So it could be something simple, something minor. And it's just uh, oversight on their part because they're kids. Um, but I wouldn't know because I'm not there. So I have to find alternative ways to bypass that and, you know, get their participation and, um, you know, engagement in different ways. The chat feature in Teams is disabled so that they can't post inappropriate things. So I can't even have students answer in the chat. You know, um, I can only have them answer like verbal, like if they're having tech issues and they can't type anywhere and they can't share their response, they have to speak, right? And so when they unmute their mics, first of all, it takes forever to get them to unmute their mic. They're like probably sitting away from their iPad and just listening. And then by the time they get to their iPad to unmute, it's been like, you know, half a minute already. And so, so much time is wasted in just asking kids to participate. Even though they do participate, it's not that they don't, but it's just like, um, hey, sweetie, can you unmute your mic? Uh, is your mic unmuted? You can speak, you know, calling on a student and having them participate is like a teeth pulling process. And I thought it would be easier because it's just like a button away, but apparently it's just as hard as um, asking kids to participate in real life. So there's that. Well, 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 how the turntables. Guess who doesn't have to use Microsoft Teams anymore? everyone in jcps so jcps now gave us the option to use google meet or microsoft teams whichever we wanted to and i guess some people chose microsoft teams for the consistency but i went back to google meets i think most of the teachers went back to google meets because teams is just so not user-friendly like I said in the earlier episode, it was really not user-friendly and it drove me insane because I need to organize everything and I felt like I did not have any control. So I'm really grateful for that change. So Google Meets basically updated some features and they made it much more safe. It gives teachers control over who can be in the meeting and who can't, uh, who can use the chat and who can't. Um, and so it's, it's really nice. I think I've already ruined my sleeping and waking schedule because I accidentally took a nap at 4 p.m. last night or last afternoon, yesterday, yesterday, and I woke up at 10.30 after six hours of sleep, and I've been up since 10.30 p.m. last night, and it is now 7.20 so I am starting to fall asleep. I have a bunch of caffeine in front of me. And let's see how it goes. And now back to our regular programming. You know, what I really wanted to get to today was what kind of strategies I've been using. Because I spent the summer in a lot of... PDs. Um, I spent my a whole week, one one week in the summer, um, the entire week was for one PD, one professional development course. And it was all about academic strategies. And I have to say, I tried using some of them in the beginning of the school year. But because we had so many like technical issues with iPads and Chromebooks and just getting kids to actually do the work, I think my focus shifted a little bit after the first three weeks um I don't think I started to get disheartened I was more like let me try 
let me let me solve the immediate problem, which is, you know, getting students to participate, getting students to hand in the work. So I've slowly been building that over the past few weeks. And I think I'm finally, I don't want to say I'm 100% there yet because there's still like <coughs> half the kids in every class that are not coming to the live lessons. So I've, I mean, I've, I've started doing a incentive, an attendance, attendance incentive. Um, I just did it for the first time this Friday where we played a game of Among Us for students who had been coming to the live classes consistently. So they, they missed maybe like one or two classes, but that's about it. And so I'm, I'm getting the teachers to be on board, getting the students to um, want that is all going to play a role in whether or not this is effective. So just try it out the first week. I'm going to give it like, you know, um, another another week or two. Well, another week because we're having Thanksgiving break, like literally um, in a week and a half. So we'll have to see, you know, by the end of the school year how that works out. And then a little bit after January to see how the attendance incentive works. But anyway, so um, the strategies that I wanted to incorporate were, you know, things like using um, uh, Padlet to, you know, uh, work with other students simultaneously and be able to see each other's work at the same time. Um, and that were that was enjoyable for the students for the most part, but then there were issues where students weren't able to access the website for some reason. So, um, you know, figuring out those problems, troubleshooting those was a problem initially. Um, I want to bring strategies like that back into the classroom. Um, there was other strategies also that could be used with Padlet, which was like a kind of like a vision board, but for vocabulary words. So it's called a word wall and it would be a virtual word wall. We didn't really get to do that yet. And um, I think I want to do that <coughs> when we come back from Thanksgiving break to give students an opportunity to um, recall some of the vocabulary that we've been learning about in the school year so far, because it is kind of cumulative. Like everything they learn about builds on the what they learned about before. So, um, you know, there were students in the beginning who were not able to come to class or participate because of all the technical problems they were having. And after the first three weeks, they were able to join in or after the first grading period, when they saw that their grades tanked, um, they were able to participate and join. So, um, you know, they, they might've missed out on that first uh, grading period of uh, full of vocabulary words. So, you know, um, getting the class to do that together after Thanksgiving break will kind of put everybody on an even playing field. <coughs> so we've got the word wall. We have um, using the Padlet to, you know, do like a think, pair, share. That was really, really cool. I think the kids liked it a lot. The only problem is like when your partner doesn't show up to class. Um, I What I did was I used to put um, like a columns together and in each column um, students would have to answer the prompt and then um, they would have to uh, only the students whose names were in the column would be talking to each other they would go back and forth talking about each other's answers and giving each other like comments on each other's answers um, and every column would be another pair of students and th so they would be answering whatever question was in the prompt and replying to each other. And um, I would look at my Google Meet. I would see who's who's present. <clears throat> and I would put, you know, two names at a time in every column um, in whatever order they showed up in my screen. And then those two students would have to find 
their column and start typing a response and responding to each other. And so that's what would happen. But then there'd be some students who had internet issues, so they would be in and out, you know, like, and there would be a student that came in afterwards and I would have to, I would have to find a pair for them um, or redirect them to another place. So these are like kind of like similar issues to like if you were in a regular classroom and a student was leaving to go use the bathroom or not participating or, you know, coming in late or something like that. And, you know, having to adjust to that was very similar. So there was no... Um, aside from like half the class not showing up, there was no other uh, real dilemma in using this strategy. Like it was a great strategy and I want to bring it back to my classroom and I haven't had the chance to do so because like I said, I've kind of been troubleshooting like basic things for students. Um, when I say I slowed down to like help students out with classwork, that also meant just kind of help guiding them, not just with the content, but you know, um, how to use the technology uh, even though they have had, you know, the past two years to kind of use it, there are some students who are completely new to our school who have not had the same um, opportunity with the Ville's iPads. But also, <clears throat> even as students have been around, um, they might not have developed certain strategies or um, developed um, their ability to use the technology in the ways that we're doing now in NTI. Like... And also there's no one circulating, like I'm not a teacher circulating, going around and, you know, tapping a kid on the shoulder, getting them to do the work. It's like now I have to actually like kind of show them, um, show them how to do it using their own screens. So like what I, what I usually do is I like I have a student volunteer to share their screen with me and share their screen with the rest of the class through Google Meet and I guide that student through what they're supposed to do and at the same time I'm telling students who are watching the screen um, to follow along and do the same thing on their own iPads um, when they're done watching the demo and so having to slow down and do that has been a huge time suck but it's worth it because then I can ask students to do those same activities in the future and they're and they're trained to do it <clears throat> so um that's that could also be considered a strategy. It's just like using Google Meet's presentation feature to have students share their screen and show everyone else how to do the work. And that's been really important in getting them to do um, uh, peer reviews. So one type of peer review I tried doing this year was with um, I created a I created a table in Google Docs, giving instructions to students on. Um, what to do, basically like copy and paste a link to their document into the shared document that everybody would be looking at under their name. And they would have a partner and their partner would also have to copy and paste a link to their document into the, into the chart and the shared document. And so they're, they're, the document that they were sharing the link to was their Circa which is a claim evidence reasoning with multiple chances to put multiple, uh, multiple different types of evidence for a project that they were doing on um, Chesapeake Bay and the overfishing, the effects of overfishing, uh, the effects of human activity in Chesapeake Bay. So they looked at a map, a uh, food web, um, before and after humans started overfishing and um, overfarming. <clears throat> and so they had to come up with a claim to the question, how have humans affected Chesapeake Bay um, ecosystem? And they have to come up with a claim and give me like at least two pieces of evidence and their reasoning and a conclusion. And so that whole thing 
was their first draft and they had to link that first draft into the main shared document that I put together. So in this document, the shared document, everyone should have their links ideally posted and they had to learn how to um, share their work with other students so that other people could comment on their work and it wasn't just private or restricted. So that was like a huge hurdle to have to get over <clears throat> because I had to go to do, I had to do that with almost every other student um, because there was a lot of confusion or they weren't, you know, listening the first time around because they were busy trying to do it themselves, um, which happens, it's normal. But my point is that it's just like, you know, twice the work and twice the time that's needed to go over these basic things. <clears throat> how to share your document, how to copy paste the link, where to find that on your iPad, you know, and then how to leave a comment, right? So that was a whole different thing. So those are three different steps that I had to break down very slowly. And even for even for my AP kids, <coughs> they got it, they actually did it properly. Um, but it was still a struggle to get them to, um, you know, do each step, copy paste their link, Make sure their document is shareable so that someone can comment on it. How to change your share settings, basically. And then actually leaving a comment. Um, and what kind of comment you want to leave. And then looking at the rubric that I've created to leave both a positive comment, like something they did good according to the rubric, and something that they can change according to the rubric. So that whole process was like very difficult from a teacher perspective. I'm sure it was stressful from a student perspective, but it was an amazing experience overall because it allowed me to slow down and explain step-by-step step how to do something and train my students so that in the future I could do similar things with them and do like a peer review with bigger projects, with more um, elaborate projects, more complicated projects, with the, you know, the same amount of rigor or more. So that was really exciting for me. Anytime I have those kind of opportunities, it's amazing because as a teacher, one thing that I love experiencing as a teacher is the aha moment that students have, that light bulb moment. And even if it's not with the content, even if it's with just learning a new skill, that's still pretty amazing. And I love my job for those kind of moments I love my job for many reasons, but those kind of moments make it, um, make it very special. It makes it worthwhile. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. It is the second of possibly many. I hope you'll join me next time. Signing out, Classroom Shiro.